Welcome to Decision Space, the only show that takes place right here between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Paul Solomon. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Today, we are welcoming you in to the Interdecisional Spaceship Auditorium for the first ever official interdecisional debate between Paul representing Cult of the New and Brendan representing Cult of the Old. They're going to make their case for their respective cults. And at the end of it, we really need you to let us know in the Discord. Let us know on Twitter who won this exchange. Could not be any more excited about it. How are you all feeling about this? Uh, I feel great. I'm really proud to have been invited here. I feel a little bit like I've been roped into this kind of like title as like an ambassador for Cult of the New, but I've grown to realize how true it is of me. You know, <laughs> I think we'll be pushing back and forth a little bit on, on the boundaries of this. Like as I look at my game collection, cult, the Cult of the New eventually becomes old. So what can you say about that? But uh, I, I'm here to represent the um, coming unstoppable wave of new and exciting games. I just feel great because Paul is sitting in front of a wall of classic games that are the cult <laughs> of the right. old. So that's I'm uncalled for. Really We're going to keep this clean. Foundations okay, of Rome, right there. Is there anything more cult of the new than that big Foundations of Rome box? But does All it right. make the argument for you or for me? The, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, but also, know. really quickly, we don't conjo- condone joining cults. Let's just say that. No. Also. But now, from this point, we have to head to our corners. So, okay. Jake, for yeah. the podcast. Yeah. This is, what is this? My coffee <laughs> what water, is right? that? We're it's throwing a, it in the garbage. In the bin. Brendan is thrown Babylonia into the trash. <laughs> wow. Um, so obviously theatrics are already flying. <laughs> what, what you can't see that I can see is that Paul and Brendan are both standing at their lecterns with yeah. their notepads out, ready to furiously scrawl notes as I ask questions and as their opposition in this debate answers. It's going to be good. It's going to be clean. My role is the moderator. So I'm going to be the one asking questions. And just one more time, I want to make this caveat clear at the top that this is for entertainment purposes only. And the and I've asked our two debaters today to really dig into their roles. So I ask him to, you know, take the hard line for their respective position for the purpose of entertainment. But, you know, don't give Paul some hate mail after this because he said <laughs> something bad about your favorite Reiner Kinesia game. Yeah. Okay. So I wish I had some exciting music, maybe in post. The lights are dimming and we're going to get started with our opening statements and I want each of you to talk for about one minute uninterrupted on this prompt, which comes from Noah M in the Decision Space Discord. So here's the prompt. (laughs) What does your respective cult offer that the other does not? Brendan, let's start with you. Okay. First of all, the most important thing about the cult of the old, the best thing about spending your time playing board games is that you respect your own time. You rely on the rest of the market to take in all these massive sloshes of board games and just act as a beautiful sieve for you to filter out all of the doorstops you don't need to own, to get all of the little gimmicks that that could have been fully developed ideas and might be at some point in time 
and just say, you don't need to play this. It was a one-time play game. You get to sit back and, you know, take it in, wait for things to settle out, have the plays roll in, and really sink your teeth in and enjoy. And I think because of this also, you have an opportunity to sort of revisit the same well. You know, you're not just obsessed with playing the same games. No, excuse me. You are just obsessed with playing the same games <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> we're not merely taking a slice out of the lemon to see how it tastes. We're squeezing it for everything that it's worth. We're, we're probing the depths of the games that we own just because we love them. Because they're the games that have stood the test of time. And there's so much more that you can gain from the, you know, having an understanding of what's come before is going to give you an even deeper appreciation for when the new designs that really stand out trickle up, you can appreciate them for what's truly new or appreciate them for the way that they've built on what has come before. With no no understanding of history, how can you know where the ship's headed? <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Brendan. Uh, Paul, over to you. Thank you so much. Um Many things have changed in our time. The advent of TikTok has changed our attention spans. For, for the worst, I don't know, but this is the time that we live in, and I do think we're always ready for something new. We're hungry for it, right? Things are always changing. Kickstarter, what's the flashy new thing? And, you know, kidding aside, I do think it's a very real part of the way that people experience this hobby is that it's exciting to see something new. It's exciting to see new art of something that you haven't played 30 times or that didn't win the, you know, the Kenner spiel in the year 1996. Um, and, and I, you know, I think you can criticize that, but I think it's a very valid way to enjoy this hobby. But what the cult of the new offers um, its followers is novelty. And it is, sure, there are those titles that have um, stood the test of time, let's say, but there are also those titles that have been left in the past. You know, we have, we have certainly moved beyond some of these tried and true Euro mechanics to something that is a bit poppier, a bit more of the time, a bit more of the now. And as a game designer, I personally am thrilled by what's the next new idea and where will my new idea kind of spin off of all of those. So yes, I am firmly entrenched in the cult of the new and I welcome all of our new followers coming after this podcast. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for those opening statements. I'm just going to remind both contestants, please do mind the time, okay? Both of you are running just a little bit long on those answers, so I would hate to have to cut anyone off. Yeah. So the way this is going to work is I've got a bunch more questions in three distinct categories. The first okay. category is going to be current events. Okay. And I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely and, a strong cult of the new favorite in the, in the current events. So this is going, I'm going to ask a question to one of you. You're going to have your time about a minute to respond and then it'll go over to the other person if they would like to make a counterpoint. So I'm going to start with you, Paul, yes. with a hard hitting question from JC. And this question is why spend the majority of your time and money in this hobby buying and playing games that are untested and unproven? Great. For, fair question. The first thing I would say is, um, there are almost no games that are untested at this point. The games that you see that go to Kickstarter that they, you know, I mean, sure, 
maybe somebody who you don't know puts out a game and maybe it's a little loose. But for the most part, when Elf Creek Games comes out with something, it's been playtested a hundred times. If Simon is coming out with something, there's been a lot of development there. Um, the reason that you would do it, go to something that you haven't played yourself, is because it's exciting. Because there's something there that you're eager to get your hands on. And perhaps something like Kickstarter gives you your chance to do that. But you know, Cult of the New is not reserved for Kickstarter. You could just go into Miniature Market, go into your friendly local game store, find something new on the shelf and th- that just makes your eye go, whoa, what is this thing? That gives you that same feeling that brought you into this hobby the very first time. It's, it's, you don't have to live in the past. You can stay in the new and be thrilled by what comes. Brendan, would you like to offer a counterpoint or a retort? Well, I just think, honestly... You know, I think JC has a great point that why would you spend your time? It's a great point that Paul has. Everything is tested. But why would you spend your time sort of trying to see if the the newest hotness is going to hit the table in the right way for you when you could allow, you know, everyone, the, the great mind of the board game internet to sort of take in what's there uh, and tell you if 50 plays in a home table environment, what that looks like. Maybe they're not even going to evaluate that's the best game, but just you'll get a better sense for who this game is for and if this game is for you. And I think that that's another important quality of the cult of the old. It's just with time, you could have a better understanding of how it fits in the ecosystem, not just if it is a, a balanced game or palatable. All right. Brendan, this next question is going to be directed to you, and it comes from Mean Square. Mm. And it is, why... So this question is regarding your take as a culty old on second editions and spiritual successors. Why not play the Marco Polo 2s over Marco Polo 1s, the Pax Premiers over Pax Renaissance, and yes, of course the Babylonias of the world (laughs) over Tigris and Euphrates. So these are games that are not only built upon what has come before, but in many cases, literally by the same designer. Why not just play those newer versions? Okay. There's a season for all things. You know, it's, it's very exciting when a new game comes out from a new designer, but for every, every, you know, when, when you have an iterative design by someone like Reiner Kinesia, you know, when he's going back to the same well, it, it kind of comes back to that same idea of sort of like, do you need to buy every copy of every game that you already own? Is there a reason to bloat your your collection when you have a version of that game that's that you know works tremendously well for your group and there's still room to explore? Can anyone claim to sort of have probed the depths of Tigers and Euphrates and understand it at the level of... The, the depths that truly exist in that game. I don't think so. There's so much room for a game like that to be on the table. Why come to this like new stripped down version that's Yellow and Yangtze that kind of shaves all of the rough edges uh, away when you could just spend the time digging your teeth in with your group and exploring the rough edges and seeing what you like about them. And maybe, maybe five years from now, you can go get that copy of Babylonia off the trash and it's going to be great, <laughs> but you can't do it now. <laughs> Paul, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on on second editions and spiritual successors. Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm glad that you brought up Kinesia's returning to the well. Of the many, many um, versions of Lost City in his oeuvre, I think that we all must decide what is right for us. And for me, it's Longboard, which is certainly a cult of the new version of this, you know, system. Um, did, Did I need it? 
You know, could I have just played Lost Cities forever? Sure. But when it's something that's not a Tigris and Euphrates, that's not something with some meaty depth that I can explore for 100 plays, maybe I do want a fresh take or something else. I think ultimately I'm making a space in this hobby for me and my tastes and those will inevitably change over time. I will make a couple of other counterpoints. Glenmore 2 is by far a superior addition to Glenmore. Um, and I think that you can find that time and time again. Atlantis Rising 2nd Edition is Z Garcia's number two game of all time, something like that. The first edition was nowhere near. And I think the work that goes on over time to improve games does show you that, you know, the tilt of the trajectory of games in this hobby is upward over time with a positive slope. All right. Excellent. Excellent points. So one more question in the current events category, and this is something I definitely want you both to weigh in on, but Paul, we'll, we'll let you have the first crack at it. Um, so this comes from Saluk. And the question is, I'm interested a little bit in new market games to see what gimmicks come out next and because they get a lot of chatter online. Yeah. But as to what I want to play, it doesn't matter much when it came out. I just prefer learning something new and tend, on, tend to move on from most games after a couple plays. So, Paul, my question to you is, when you're talking about Cult of the New, you know, what is it about these new, new games as opposed to like a new-to-me game? that you think is better, you know, feel free to, to add thoughts you have, however they fit in there. I personally, I, I think that Saluk brings up a really great point, which is that new to me is really the point here. I think cult of the new, um, it, maybe it's that Kickstarter leading edge group, but also, especially for somebody who's been in the hobby for a year, it, I mean, everything is new to you all the time. And I think that that's capturing the raw energy of what this is like. But once you've been in the hobby 10 years and you've, you know, how many expansions of Dominion can you play before you feel like maybe I've, maybe I've done that and I'd like to taste another deck builder. Um, <clears throat> so no, I don't think there's anything wrong at all with saying, Hey, you know, I, I personally have never played Tigris and Euphrates. Brandon makes face. I should, you know, for me, that could be just as new as anything, but it does intrigue me to know that even Dr. Kinesia himself felt maybe there was direction beyond that first um, instantiation of that design. I'll respond by saying, who doesn't want to play the Castles of Tuscany over the Castles of Burgundy? Am I right? <laughs> a fair retort. A fair <laughs> retort. But, but also here, okay, what about, what's your favorite part of game night? I can tell you what it's not. Learning new rules. Jake. Want to learn some rules for Get On Board? No. Want to learn the rules for Barrage? No. Want to play those games? You definitely do. You definitely do. So the part of being a part of the cult of the old is just liberating yourself from the greatest burden of playing board games, which is having to settle in with a rule book. Well, you fall asleep at night, falling asleep three nights in a row, <laughs> trying to get through that rule book of Barrage. And you that's, know, that's okay. It's okay. Sometimes you just, you know, when you're cooking a new recipe... You don't, sometimes when you cook dinner, you want to go home and you want to make the thing that you've made 600 times, which mm -hmm. maybe it's not as exciting, but it tastes good and it's quick. And sometimes I just want to play Keyflower with Paul sitting right behind him because I already know the rules. And there, right there's there. comfort in that. Oh, I'm so glad that's in your classroom, by the way. <laughs> 
so good. I'd like to make a point here, if I may, Jake, because Brendan's thoughtful response here has given me some new territory to consider. And that is when you talk about teaching games or learning new games, this does take a personal spot for me because I am almost exclusively the teacher of every game that I play. And it is something that I do like to do. I do like to learn new rules because as a designer, I'm understanding the mechanisms and like analyzing it in a way that's fun for my brain. And then I get to do this other part of teaching it, which is also fun for me. I think that there are lots of people like you that dislike learning. My wife is definitely one of them. But I do think that learning new games Putting yourself in a learning situation as an adult is a really positive thing. I cannot stand for being cast as someone who does not like learning, so I can see the point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that gives me a lot to think about, and hopefully it also is giving a lot of food for thought to our listeners back home all over the world. Let's move into the next category for the night. And I know this is something that is on a lot of people's mind these days. And that is, of course, the economy. Mm. <laughs> it's the economy, stupid. I knew this was coming. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's get right into it. And uh, once again, Paul, the first question is a hard-hitting one. It's coming right at you. So most, this, this question comes from Noah M. And, and Noah says, one of the most common words used in board game reviews today is replayability. Do you feel that replay value is important in games? And if so, how do you reconcile that with the desire to constantly try new games? Yeah, that's a good point. I do think replayability is really important in terms of the longevity. As I said earlier at the start of this thing, you know, cult of the new games become tried and true treasures in your trove. And that's a lot of alliteration for me to sneak in here off the, off the cuff. Um, you know, I got games behind me that I bought right when they came out or got them on Kickstarter, and I've played them dozens of times. So um, if you're going to keep it around, yeah, that re replayability matters. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to. There are games that I buy that I'll play, I don't know, two, three times in a week with students or friends to show it off, and we'll get pretty much the same experience. And by that time, I'll know... I think I'm ready to move on. But I don't think that's necessarily um, tied to Cult of the New exactly. It's not like old games have, in general, superior replayability to new games. I just think that, sort of probably to Brendan's point, there is a filter on those old games and it's more quickly identified which ones are less replayable. But still, I mean, there might be a game from 1970 called Acquire or whatever year that came out that I play and play once and I go that game's going to be roughly the same every time I play it and I don't need to play it more okay so I feel that you know I'm just going to keep hitting this food metaphor while I started with <laughs> lemons I talked about making dinner now we're going to talk about cake so oh, okay. you know I feel like new games the Colts in the new that mindset a little bit espouses you know coming into a, a piece of cake and having a delicious scoop of frosting. And who doesn't love frosting, right? Me. Personally, me. <laughs> that just does not make sense for the position you're arguing. <laughs> okay. Today, you love frosting. Okay. <laughs> but for the sake of this, I love frosting. I am also not a huge fan of frosting. Okay. But right. eventually, you know, even with old games, to your point, Paul, you go into an old game and you're going get, to get a hit of that frosting. What makes this old game exciting? Even something like a game like Carcassonne, the first time I played it, there was frosting there. I get to do all these different things with these meeples. And I love that multiple, the different modes that they can exist in. But eventually you get to the decisional cake 
the actual cake itself. And I think you can appreciate the game on a little bit deeper level. But part of the great thing about Cult of the Old is that while you're thinking about those experiences, and maybe this is from a design perspective too somewhat, where I love the experience, Paul, of like taking a game that I love, that I know, that I've played for years, and putting it in front of someone new and watching them taste the frosting and seeing them slowly get into cake and watching how as a player they start to their shift in how they perceive that decision space changes. And I think it's hard to get that if you're both just going in, scooping off the frosting. Maybe maybe you just, you know, first you scoop off the top, then the sides. That's like one, two plays. And then you kind of chuck the cake. And I, I think it's fun to sort of engage and see the life of the game as it exists over multiple plays. Jake, are you going to ban uh, food metaphors? Because I have like six he's, more. I, he's, you're, he's very you're, frustrated you're, because you're throwing away the cake, but you've eaten it. It's yeah, a whole problem. You're really going all in on the extended <laughs> frosting metaphor. We'll see how it plays out with the audience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but we'll move on to another question because I want to talk a little bit about crowdfunding and Kickstarter. And Paul, you've talked about that a little bit as being something that's you know really exciting, something of this day and age. And I don't think it is exclusive to Cult of the Nukes. We're also seeing old games being brought back in shiny new packages. So Brendan, this question is going to be posed to you. When I see a game like Reiner Knizia's Raw being brought back in a super awesome deluxified edition. I mean, that's something that excites me and I want to spend money on. Is that something that you as a cult of the old person cares about? Or are you good with your dusty old version? And if not, please explain this apparent hypocrisy. Look, to some extent, games are games. I want to experience the decisions in the game and I want to experience the spirit that the game evokes. I don't need the new copy of Castles of Mad King Ludwig with three-inch high painted minis. They're nice. I want to look at them. I want to enjoy the box on Paul's wall, but that (laughs) box is thick. That's like an eight-inch thick box. I only have so much room in my life, and I want to make sure that I make every square inch of it count. So sure, I'll take the cheaper copy of Castles of Mad King Ludwig that someone else is willing to pass along because they want those chunky minis, and maybe for them that will work. For me, I'll keep my slim and slender box, and I'll take a discounted on it on the way. This is, the games are the same. I don't need the plastic. Paul, do you see any value in Kickstarter from your position? Oh, I, I think I think uh, as a designer, Kickstarter has like a whole other relationship for me because I deal with so much of the nonsense of that place. But as a consumer of board games, it's really fabulous. Um, I think. Being a part of a campaign in, in the way that sometimes you get to be is really cool. Even just today, you and I are both big fans of Keyforge. Can't speak for my cult of the old. I mean, Call of the Archons came out in 2018. I believe that was just four years ago. But Yeah, he hates the, it. Exactly. It's, it's <laughs> trash. Um, and think about it. Every time you open a deck of Keyforge, that's a new thing. They just went to crowdfunding today, and I, for one, am thrilled. Because there are totally new opportunities there that wouldn't be available without crowdfunding. I can get a deck with my name on it. I can't do that at my friendly local game store or my dusty old library at a friend's house. You know, There are things possible in this day and age because of crowdfunding that just weren't possible in 1992. Great answer, both. Uh, the last question in the economy section of this debate and I want you both to answer it. And just plain and simple, I want you to make the a lot of people to you know to be real right now. The economy, at least in the part of the world I live on, is not doing great. 
Um, some people, you know, gas prices are higher. Um, people might have less disposable income for board games than they used to. Um, so I'd like for you both to, you know, make the case that if I ha- am only ma- able to make one or two purchase- board game purchases a year, uh, should I be spending that money on an old game or a new game? Yeah. Uh, Paul, why don't you go ahead and go first and, and we'll end with Brenda on this one. Yep. Um, the first thing to say, I think, is that it's always important to know that this is a luxury hobby, that none of us need to have the most expensive all-in pledge on the game we're excited about. Um, and if we're only going to buy a game or two a year, we should feel really strongly that it's going to be something we're excited about, regardless of what time period that's coming from. But the point I want to make here, and I think it will be echoed by Brendan, is that um, the value of a game decays over time. And so you may be able to scoop up a copy of Palaces of, well, maybe not something like that, but something Castles of Burgundy original edition for a bit cheaper, right? And get a ton of gameplay out of a low one. But by the same token, a new game holds its value for a good chunk of time. And so if you want to play four games, you know, if you want to play 10 games in a year, you can buy that new one, play it a couple times, and you don't lose a lot of, you know, capital in flipping that game. You can often buy it and sell it for near the same price, especially when it's something like, you know, that new hotness you picked up at Gen Con or got off of Kickstarter. Um, Those things do hold their value for a year or two sometimes, depending on the rarity. See, I feel like this is almost the perfect cult of the old question. Because, yeah, I'm trying to get the most value out of the games that I buy. So if I can only buy one or two games a year, I think it's I want it to be a game that I know has been tested, tested by the market, not just by developers, not just by the designers themselves. Right. And I I want it to be something that I can really sink my teeth into. And also, to your point, I, I think, Paul, it's true that games do degrade in value over time. But there one weird thing about the board game hobby is that there are those games that go out of print or there are those versions of games that just become electric for some reason why sure. do people want all of the fantasy flight versions of Renner Kinesia's games that got printed in 2013 they do <laughs> look pretty nice so i, I think <laughs> to some extent being cold to the old i'm gonna give it an knock here because oftentimes the games that be sort of that do come into prominence that do stay popular all of a sudden, there's more people that wish they owned them that originally bought them. And that can be a bad place to put yourself in. But the only benefit is maybe you don't need to buy the games anyway. Because maybe, mm-hmm. you know, you, you just return to that closet and say, Jake, what mm-hmm. if we just uh, played Keyflower again? And Jake will say, I'll pass, but you can play it on Board Game Arena with other people in the Discord. <laughs> and I'll say, okay, that's fine. Great. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the economy section. And we'll be moving into the final section mm. for the night. This is arguably the one that is most important that trumps all the others. And that section is game design. Mm. And the first question here is going to Brendan. Uh, So this question, we had a lot of great questions submitted by a relatively small group of people. So thank you to everyone who submitted (laughs) questions. Um, If you would like to submit questions for the next debate, if you enjoyed this episode and we decide to do this again, Make sure you join our Discord. That's the best place to do it. Um, But anyway, another question from Mean Squared, which says, a lot of classic games 
may have aged well, but don't stand a chance of being published today. Why, Brendan, do you think that is, especially if it's not just due to presentation? Yeah, I think that tastes change sometimes. Approaches change sometimes. With Cosmic Encounter, if you took that to a publisher, uh, jump out at them as something that they want to take a risk on today. Maybe not. Maybe it'd be really hard for Paul or myself to go to a publisher with a hundred different alien powers and say, can I sell you a negotiation game, uh, an asymmetric negotiation game? But the awesome thing about old games is that those games, uh, they have been made. They do exist. You can return to Cosmic. Um, Would a game like Race for the Galaxy stand a chance of getting printed today? Probably. It's an amazing game. Um, but I think that there's a chance that the iconography might not have hit perfectly for a publisher. If you show it to someone, they might have concerns that the the ability for the market to absorb a game that's a little bit tough to learn just is a lot lower than it used to be. So something with, you know, that asks a little bit more of its player is less likely to get made. And sometimes I'm looking for a game, no matter if it's a lighter game or a heavier game, I think race tends towards the lighter the end, end of the spectrum, but ask more of its player. I'm okay with a game like that. I, I want designs to ask more of me. And I worry that the current trends in the market are such that there's so much competition that publishers are looking towards designs that don't ask as much of their players, whether it's, you know, the band of scoring that, that can come out or the just the, the learning burden up front. And I think that because of that, the sort of uh, range of viable pitches that you can make, not the range of viable games that people want to design, but the range of viable pitches that newer designers can make has shrunk. And that's changed the way that games are being made. So I think you miss out on certain types of experiences. If you sort of say, I'm only going to play new games and get excited about new games. There's this trove of games that maybe wouldn't get made today that are still really interesting and really good. And maybe just don't fit into the way that the market is asking publishers uh, to, to make games is will work right now. You know, publishers at the end of the day have to sell copies. That w- that's what they exist to do. They exist to make good games. But they also exist to keep the lights on and sell some games. And there's certain, you know, uh, concessions they have to make, I think. Paul, over to you. Uh, I think it's an interesting point to say that maybe Race for the Galaxy couldn't be made today because they did make it. It's Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. (laughs) And people love that game. Um, You know, I think that the games that would get picked up today are the tried and true games that you love. I mean, could Keyflower be made today? Probably, you know, somebody's going to put it up on Kickstarter, but it may not be of the day's taste, kind of, as you said. The big games of 10 years ago are not the big games of today. Um, Not even necessarily because they're worse, though certainly that is the case sometimes, but they're just not of the day. You know, they're not what gets the market excited now. And that's okay. As I said before, I think ultimately this is a hobby about what excites you, what's personal to you, what's flavorful to you. And sometimes, you know, pulling out a record from 1930 really rocks for you. But when you put it on for your kids, they think you're an old loser. (laughs) And I don't know, Brendan, are you an old head? Maybe. I think I'm a little older than you, but I'm firmly in the cult of the new still. My so, son's going to think I'm so old. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so following from that, and that there's been a lot of discussion on and around this point already, but Paul, I want to give you the chance to answer this, which is in what way do you think cult of the new 
in in the larger sense, right? The desire of people to purchase and try new games affects game design. Uh, and I think one of the things that comes up is a greater need for games today to impress on the first play, maybe to the trade-off of being a game that holds up to hundreds of repeated plays. So I wanted to ask, do you think, do you agree with that statement first? And do you think that's a good thing for game design? I appreciate the question, whoever submitted that. I think this is a really good point. And, and I can tell you from the development side that it's very true. Publishers are saying in this, in this market, in this economy, you're going to get, you've got to have a good first play. And so with HoneyBuzz, we thought about this all the time. The average play count for games is less than the number owned, you know, so some games aren't even getting played. Now, what the what that does to the design space is force it to get across you. And that's I do think that's good. You've got to have an experience put in front of somebody where the first time they touch it, they they get what you want them to get out of it. It can't be some obtuse thing unless you know that the audience is looking for that. Um, has it pushed games to a broader market in a way? I'm not sure if it's kind of dumbed things down. I mean, the hobby game market is still niche beyond compare. Um, it's very hard to say, but I, I will say that the the uh, the push for novelty in the cult of the new has pushed game design forward. Right, the games that exist now simply could not have existed in the past. Merchants Cove, which is up now on on Kickstarter, couldn't have existed five years ago because we were nowhere near thinking about that sort of asymmetric system, which is now kind of becoming popular and being iterated on and pushing things out in new directions that are really thrilling. I think the force of this kind of cult of the new dynamic on design has made everything come across faster and more palpably. So yes, I think that's good for design. There were merchant coves of the past, but right, if every day has its merchant cove, that game that couldn't have existed without the games that came before it. But what matters is the merchant coves that survive. And right, looking back, being a part of the cold new, it, you get to see which games have, have justified being there. So I think that from my perspective, I do want games that can excite on the first play. And I think that one time, let's just step back. Okay, I'm doing the debate thing, but I'm also going to just respond to this. I think the goal <laughs> is both, right? The goal is both. Like, Paul, when you sit down to make a game, when I sit down to make a game, I want a game that is imp impresses on the first play and is good on the 75th or 100th play. That's the real goal. And I think that's been the goal the whole time. It's just what people need to get excited has shifted a little bit um, because people are looking for games where they can engage with the decisions maybe a little bit more directly on the first play than a game like Agricola, something we just covered, that it takes a little bit longer to figure out what you're trying to do. And that's fine because you can still have games that excite on the first play and are exciting on the 70, 75th, 100th, 500th play. Okay, but with this question, I think it's a, a misnomer in a way to say like, that new games are intrinsically more valuable because they couldn't have existed without what have come before them. Because there's also going to be those games that were designed dead ends, that people just don't follow them up because what they do is so valuable that there's no iteration left. Something like El Grande. How many years have people tried to make a better El Grande? The, the answer is like coming up on 30. And, you know, I want people to keep trying. That's hope that... 
20 more years from now, someone someone takes takes the game design sword up and and just crushes El Grande and makes it an unplayable piece of trash. But for now, if I want to play area control, hold up, I'm going to the closet and I'm getting El Grande because it's the best game that's been designed. So, you know, people can keep trying, but new doesn't necessarily mean better, right? And I think another example of this is just there's going to be new games from Stefan Feld. It's, I, I, we'll see if there's ever a game from Feld that makes me want to own it over castles in burgundy right like just because it's newer doesn't mean that it's it that it is fresher in that sense like eventually you have to try something new and just trying something new for the sake of trying something new so you can stand out on the first play doesn't mean better it just means brendan i'm gonna have to cut you off there you're over time and i won't stand for this bonfire slander (laughs) paul i need 45 seconds on uh El Grande, go. <laughs> I, I'm shocked, first and foremost, that it took us this long to utter the words El Grande. But for you to say that in the time since its production and design, there's been no improvement on area control, I think is, it, it, well, I think it shows a great ignorance in your understanding of the landscape of game design. And El Grande, now, admittedly, I've played it 90, I've played it one time, 90 minutes, eight turns. That's all you have to know about what I experienced in the game to know that the game designs have moved beyond that. War of Whispers is a better area control game. There are tons. I, I doubt there's an area control game that's been made in the last five years that I wouldn't like more. <laughs> and I don't even like area control. Ethnos is a better area control game than El Grande. That's all I have for now. Great, great points, Al. Um, so while this simmers down, I'm going to ask another question. And this one is going to go... Who, who did I ask the last question to? I'm getting lost. The, the, Me, I'm getting I, flustered. I, I went first. Okay, so so this next question is going to be to Paul. Me, In the Paul. meantime. Okay, no, I've got it, it. right here. It. And okay. this one comes from The Plav. Mm. And, he, and, and The Plav says, I think there's great value in playing older designs. Being able to trace the lineage or family tree of ideas definitely adds another layer to appreciating the game design and appreciate the hobby. Paul, do you think that you need to have a foundation in older games to be able to truly enjoy Cult of the New Games as you do? I think, you know, I think there is a point to be made here. Here's what I'll say about El Grande. When I played it, (laughs) I did appreciate, I had an appreciation for the elegance of the system and what they did for its time, yes. But to say that if you don't understand the brilliance of El Grande, then Ethnos is meaningless to you is beyond absurd gatekeeping, okay? You don't have to... To be clear, I didn't say that. I understand. Plav, maybe. (laughs) No, he didn't. Jake, I did. Jake said. And this is going to get a little bit to my closing statements. This is a very silly continuity issue, which is to say, where do you stop? You don't understand the full detail of the game of Go. You can't even play it once. You know, it's it's a silly thing to try to say, well, if you don't understand the full history of the geek, you know, forget about it. You are welcome in this hobby. And if, if you're excited by that, and hey, look, there's plenty of dumb games on Kickstarter. If you're excited by those, go get them. Have fun with it. Even if you don't know the history of, you know, uh, take that games. I absolutely agree with Paul, and I will say that you do not need to have knowledge of games to enjoy games, but it's kind of like, you know, 
you get to unlock another little wrinkle in this thing that you enjoy and love, right? When you when you understand the the reference, the nod, when you see the improvement after you've waited five years for the market to test the game that you would like to enjoy, <laughs> you <laughs> you you can sort of relish and I think feel a little bit of of joy for for tracing the, the lineage. It's it's the reward for for spending your time studying history. And do you have to do that to engage? No. Do you have to do that to in, to enjoy? No. Is there is there something joyful there? Absolutely. Great point. Okay, only a couple more questions each, and then I'll, I'll give you a chance for your final uh, closing statement. Um, so this next one is going to Brendan, and it comes from Noah M. again, and it says, many art forms and technologies improve over time by iterating on an older work. Are board games the exception? Brendan, thoughts? Yeah, board games are definitely not the exception, right? There are going to be iterative designs that are exciting and wonderful. Uh, but I think just like the, like looking at movies, the way that movies get made and exist, there's amazing movies being made today that are awesome. But the market conditions force a different type of movie to be made because of the burden placed on on production companies to make their money back. You, you have to fill a theater many, many times. You can't make the type of, you know, uh, movies that were happening in the early 2000s and the 90s because you can't rely on DVDs to make half of the cost of the film back because you can't fill the theater. I think games have moved in a little bit of a similar direction, but that's okay. The cool thing about the cult of the old is, is that you're not locked off from playing new things, right? You just are going to wait a little bit longer uh, to engage with them. As the cult of the old, if we're counting it as five years, I'm thrilled. Because Welcome To has just come into my purview. And it's going to be really exciting to play some of these role and rights that people have been talking about. You know, Quicks, I think as the cult of the old, I got hit with that a few years ago. It was awesome. Before that, I played Yahtzee. It was good. Now I've enjoyed this Welcome To. In uh, three years, I can play cartographers. That's going to be wonderful. Oh, my goodness. I'd like to hop in here and just speak on the topic of role and rights. First of all, I will give a nod to Yahtzee. Uh, one of the true classics, a Bang great it. game. And if I can, hopefully I'll return to it in my um, closing remarks. Um, but the whole category of roll and rights has been an exceptional development. Not not to mention Rolling Realms and the Honeybuzz Realm, which is coming out very shortly from Stonemeyer. Cartographers is one of the absolute best in this category. And you're going to get into a, a situation where all of a sudden you can play Welcome To!, and you're going to really enjoy it with art by Anne Heidseek, by the way, artist on Honeybuzz. And then you're going to realize, well, what's this Welcome to the Moon I hear about? They're doing some sort of a multi-stage campaign. Ah, I'll wait a couple more years because there's so much meat. When in fact, even at this point today, right now, you could skip all of it and get straight to Welcome to the Moon, which has learned from the years of experience that you're now going to push through. I mean. The, the market has told us this is the better game, but you're still going to wait anyway. That's a really interesting point. Uh, and especially because I think Welcome to Las Vegas was a Welcome to game that a lot of people didn't like. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you had jumped right to that one, maybe it's a different case. But That's a Paul fair point. That is a fair point, I think, because when it came out, I was I was interested in it. But I did have enough of a discernment to say, oh, maybe not. Yeah. And, you know, if you jump in too early, who's singing the praises of Corinth? That day's a wonder roll and right. I haven't heard about that in a while. Who's singing the praises of? Played it. 
Patchwork Doodle. You played it? Was it fun? I don't know, but you're going to decide for me. And in five years, if I should play it after I get cartographers, I'll listen to Paul because he played him first for me. That's fair. I would like to go on the record just for 10 seconds and badmouth Second Chance, one of the least interesting games ever designed, quote unquote designed by Ava Rosenberg. Um, One of the worst flipping rights of all time, Second Chance. Is that like Patchwork Doodle? Also not a great role in writing from Uwe Rosenberg? Here's a polyomino. Draw that. Yep, Next, yeah. use a polyamino, draw that. Just fill it up. That's it. Yeah. All right. right. So when cartographers comes, boom, amazing. Can't wait. Okay. Right. Hopefully the I've app got, still works on my iPhone. I've got one more question to each of you, and then it'll be time for the final thoughts. Paul, I think this is an important question to really drill down on what you're saying, which is that games designed between 2018 and 2022 are better than all games that came before it. So I was hoping you could give an example of one or two games that truly stand out in your mind as games from this cult new period that you would really hold above all games prior. Okay, I do think that there's a bit of a straw man. You're putting some words into my mouth. I never said that all the games of the last four years were the greatest of all time. You said okay. it, Paul. I don't. I think that that will go to the tapes and we'll see. Um, okay. I'm looking now at the collection and I'm thinking, really? Because this is, this is what it's about, right? And I've said this before. Some of these games are going to last for 70 plays. And for me, Honey Buzz, clearly I've played it hundreds of times. But um, really, what's there? I think... Glenmore 2 is a great example of a classic game that was updated and so much replayability was added into it that people will play that for a long, long time. It's not that the time period is better than all those other games or all that other time. It's just that for me, for my cult followers, that's the time period we go to to get the feeling we like from this hobby, you know, and it's it's just as simple as that. I do think that things have been cleaned up and that on average, you can expect to find more exciting mechanisms that have been sort of viewed through the lens of today's market, which makes a lot of sense. There's always going to be that old vintage vinyl market uh, that's going to buy older stuff too. That's okay. But for my money, the new market is, is today's sound. And Brendan, it should be very easy for you to pick a game from your much larger span of time that is superior to Glenmore 2. Uh, please tell me the name of that game. Wait, the whole, I have to name a game better than Glenmore 2? Yeah, it should be easy. Yeah, it is you. easy. I, I could go on and on. Tigris and Euphrates, Modern Art, uh, Castles of Burgundy. Like The list goes on and on. Uh, Agricola. These are just games that every everyone should try, own in their collection, and just have. For, for ages and ages, because you can return to them over and over and over. All right. And the last question of the night is going to go to Brendan first. Paula, of course, you'll have an answer to follow up. And I'm going to prep, you know, ahead of time. This is a tough one. <laughs> Brendan, the field is exploding. And this is a question from Jim D, I should say. Give him credit. The field is exploding. A Patreon a uh, subscriber for Decisions Face. So thank you very much for that. We do have a Patreon if you would like to support our show just a little bit so we can keep doing these episodes. You too uh, could have the final question. That's right. Uh, but this one came from Jim D. And he says, the field is exploding. Barriers to entry are continually lowering. More ideas are being developed now than ever before. 
the diversity of developers is probably too slowly, but still increasing. And there are more excellent and more excellent games in the past to draw inspiration and guidance from. Why wouldn't newer be better when there are so many more people and new ideas being able to come into the fold of game design? Yeah, this is an awesome question. The answer is, of course, uh, that newer might be better. But that's not the point. The point <laughs> is that eventually the newer will come, right? Like it, this is about not being caught up in in fast gaming. It, it's about not getting burned, chasing chasing the truck of the, the, the most recent Kickstarter just because everyone else is excited about it. The point is spending your time, enjoying the things that you enjoy, enjoying the things that you love and, and taking your time finding those gems. They're going to rise to the top. Yes. There are always new games that will become old. And the point of the, the cult of the old is not to say that necessarily a game is, I'm, I'm not creating a, you know, a linear curve. The older the game is, the better it is. The only game I can ever play is Senate. And maybe I'm going to sneak a game a go in because I can, you know, deign to, to play a game invented a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago. You know, that's not the point. The point is to, to slow our roll, to take a deep breath, enjoy what we can enjoy, enjoy what we have and let the good things come. We don't have to force them. We don't have to enjoy the hype more than we enjoy the game in front of us, right? We don't have to get caught up in, oh, I spent $70 on this game. I need to find a way to enjoy it and tell other people on the internet how much I enjoy it. The point is to sort of sit back and digest and then talk with people, engage about why this thing that you enjoy is the best thing that you enjoy. So Paul, I can't wait for two years from now when I can actually tell you about why Babylonia is good. And in the <laughs> meantime, let's talk about tigers. <laughs> One of these days you'll play Honey Buzz, I hope. We'll find out. I, I absolutely will play Honey Buzz. <laughs> How and, many and years do I have? Uh, it came out in 2020, I think, so we're three away. Bring it. Yeah, we'll get there. It's too hot. It's too hot right now. <laughs> it's really the hotness. And I did. I do appreciate that you found a way to get back to digestion and food. You did it again. <laughs> yeah, um, Paul. Any? It's a bit of a softball, but any thoughts on sort of like growing diversity in, in, in board game design? And yeah, I, again, I think that you know, to my point that the new market reflects new values. This is a perfect example. And what's happening with Puerto Rico is a great example. Brendan, I don't know if that's in your category of games you love, but I would have to imagine that this new edition of Puerto Rico is going to surpass the other for, you know, human value reasons. And I do think that um, the market of today does a better job of taking care of appropriate values and making sure that the people that are making the games and earning money from the games um, are being treated well. And, uh, you know, when you buy a game off the secondhand market, of course, it doesn't interact with what occurred when they were made, right? It has nothing to do with that. But you can put where your money where your mouth is to some, to, to some extent and, and, you know, buy a game like Libertalia, which has an artist of color or, you know, games that are designed by artists of, or by designers of color or other types of people that just weren't in this hobby 15, 20 years ago. Okay, stop the tape because I, I, I need to say one thing and I can't have it be on the record. Paul, okay. Honey Buzz is really gorgeous. It's Thanks. really a pretty game. Thanks. Which That's the part I didn't do, but I do appreciate it. I know, but it just, oh, it's so nice looking. Yeah, um, it, it's, is, it's fabulous. Yeah, well, I would yeah. obviously never allow this on the podcast. Good, good, good. Uh, you cut it, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like, okay. 
Put it on the pile okay. of those 10 other comments we each made. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's see. Uh... Back to the debate. And it is time now for our final thoughts and uh, uh, closing statements. Um, Paul, you had the last word on that final question. So mm-hmm. I'll have you go first with your closing thoughts. And then, Brendan, you'll have the opportunity to, to do your closing thoughts second. And I want you to really think about the fact that you are now talking not to me, your handsome moderator, but <laughs> to people all over the world who tune into Decision Space each and every week because they care about decisions in games. Thank you. And I'd like to thank both of you for bringing me on today. This has been a real honor and a pleasure. Um, here's really what this is about, okay? The only constant in life is change, right? Times change. Your taste changes. Even if you find that copy of Priests of Ra that you adore, that you love showing to people, they might just come out with a new edition at 25th Century, and it's so darn beautiful that you have to have it. That's okay. Not only is it okay, it's the only thing. Even if you have that copy of Tigris and Euphrates, after you've played it 250 times, you just might get to the place where you decide that's enough. Every game we've discussed today is likely to be meaningless 2,000 years from now. It is a silly, silly thing we discuss. Is it five years? Is it four years? Is it 20 years? Of course, it's a meaningless distinction. But Brendan brings up a great point. Are we chasing something silly? Are we chasing something ephemeral? A moment that can only be there, you know, some silly novelty? Yes, we are. That's all there is in this brief life we live. Find the things that are meaningful to you. Hold on to them as long as you want. And when the time is ready, and it's finally your moment to move on, you can sell that game that you bought a month ago. And you'll make pretty good money on it too. I rest my case. Well, if you'd like to be in the business of selling games you just bought because you regret them, you can chase the cold of the new. And you'll get to play them once and sort of say, well, that was a game, and it was kind of nice, but I only tasted the frosting. But I think, dear listener, that you should treat yourself to depth, to slowing down, to engaging and enjoying the things that you have, to, to waiting, to sitting back, to returning to the well, and getting to understand it and all of its qualities. Um, you, should, you should treat yourself to sort of uh, to having a favorite thing, to, to having uh, uh, a history with a thing, so that when you do change, your, your understanding of that thing that you enjoy can change too. And you can understand why just it's even more special than you ever imagined. So I think also, you know, let other people chase the bus. If they find something really good, they'll bring it home and put it down on the table. If Ark Nova is awesome, I'll hear about it in five years and I will happily, happily play Ark Nova. But for now, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to enjoy the games that I have. I think I'm going to go have a play of modern art tonight. It'll be really fun. Uh, and in, if you'd like to join, I'd love to show you an old game that brings people together, is exciting, and has tons of room for interesting decisions. And then in five years, we'll play Ark Nova. And that is going to bring us to the close of tonight's interdecisional debate 
between Paul Solomon representing Cult of the New and Brendan Hansen representing Cult of the Old. I want to thank you both so much for your time. And I mean, and uh, genuinely, you you both did a great job debating for an hour uh, wow. in front of our live studio audience is, <laughs> is uh, yeah, I mean, that's not easy. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I just say thanks. And what, now that we're at the end, you know, at the end of the episode, how, how was that experience for y'all? I had a great time. You know, I, I, I think Brendan is a very sharp guy. He clearly understands a lot about the history, perhaps more than I do as a, just a silly neophyte, you know? Um, but, uh, no, I think, I think a lot of good points were made on both sides. And ultimately this hobby is just about having fun. And I think we both said that at some point is that, um, you know, we're not trying to gatekeep anything. If you like it, go after it, you know? I had a blast. I love debating with Paul. And I think that Paul is, uh, we're just so lucky that you come on the show sometimes. And I, every time you come on, I'm just like, when can you come on again? <laughs> it's so fun having you on. And I think that one thing about the discussion is, that's so cool is I think that regardless of when we're talking about uh, games, what's what's really cool is ultimately there's just so many good games that exist oh, yeah. in the world. For it's sure. like, regardless, it's just such a cool time to be alive. And I, I, I think I love that about right now. Uh, yeah, it's just awesome. Well, and, and that's the other thing, too, is because there are so many games, not only just on Kickstarter right now or releasing in stores this month or currently at Miniature Market or released in the last 20 years, there's way too much for anyone to engage with. So you can choose the thing that you like. And if yeah. if you want to dig back and find something there, that's fine. You know, it's the same with music and movies. All the points that you made are so, so true. And two things one hugely relieved i watched eight mile a week ago to prepare for this experience <laughs> i would have had the stamina without yeah. it too but you got you got to lose yourself you yeah know, exactly the, the moment, the moment i feel like i did it. a little bit yeah yeah. yeah yeah it wasn't spaghetti it was cake on the sweater but you know right yeah, yeah. it really went all in on taste the frosting <laughs> yeah kind of I, he brought it all slogan. the way back yeah. yeah but wait 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 it wouldn't be an episode of decision space talking somewhat about old games unless we plug the game on top of key flower on paul's shelf yeah which is to say Everyone should play Kanagawa. Oh, because yeah. if we don't say it, Kanagawa. no one else is going to say it. And it's a game that has stood the test of time. Bruno Cathala, Charles Chevalier. I think you should play it. If you've oh, never yeah. heard of it, listen to episode one of Decision Space. I, I listened to it. I listened oh, to that yeah. one. I thought it was very good. Thank and goodness it is a great listening. game. Oh, yeah. That's so good. That's, you know, and I'll just wrap us out here. The one last plug for the Discord, because, uh, just thanks everyone for all those great questions. I think almost every single one of the ones I asked came directly from somebody submitting them. And in the thread where people are posting these questions, there's just awesome discussion, yeah. like asking and answering all these two. So and like really thoughtful. Yeah. So truly, if if uh, you know if you want to be in an online chat room type setting, like it, it's such a great extension of what we do on our weekly podcast that I feel like to get the full decision space experience. And especially the debate around mechanical artifice, <laughs> something, you know, we're still trying to iron out a little bit has just been like so fire in our discord that, you know, highly recommend you get it there. Um, oh, as always, link is in the description. Paul, thank you again for coming on. Thank you both, uh, fellas. And, you know, last but not least, we should thank, as always, uh, Hembry for our intro and outro song, Reach Out. And until next week, hope y'all. Have a great time playing board games. That's not what we say. Brendan, you say bye. <laughs> uh, normally we just say bye. Perfect.
Reaching out